The Authentic Accountant is sponsored by Intuit. Intuit helps you leverage the latest technologies and works with you to create tomorrow's future innovations for your firm. Visit quickbooks.intuit.com. Welcome to the Authentic Accountant Podcast with Seth David and co-host Erica Ed. If you've ever wanted to know the real story behind the most successful business leaders in the world today, stay tuned. Every story doesn't have an instant success, peaches and cream background. We'll ask the questions that need to be asked and get the true stories of success. Now, here is Seth David and Erica Ed. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. My name is Seth David. I'm here with my co-host, Erica Ed. Hey, everybody. And we have an amazing guest coming up, which we're going to bring on in just a minute. But first, Erica, you know what I did yesterday? Tell me. So I was on a call with a client in Zoom, and the client said to me, hey, Seth, you know, I'd love to get a report that shows me all of my transactions for the last 30 days. So not just last month's transactions, but rolling for the past 30 days. And so you know what I did? What'd you do? I gave them that report. I was because QuickBooks Online has that drop down in the preset date settings that will roll through the last 30 days. So now he gets the report automatically emailed to him every single week. And it's going to just keep cycling through. So I told him if you check this report weekly, which is how we'll send it to you on an automated schedule, then you'll be able to see everything that's going through each credit card and each bank account four times. So that gives you ample opportunity to catch things and fix things when and if necessary. Client was so happy with that. Brilliant. All right. So let's get on with today's business. I always like to give you my little thing that I did with QuickBooks Online yesterday before we start. So we do have an amazing guest. Um, I originally met Gene Marks at the Sleater Conference years ago. Not sure if he even remembers. I'm sure he'll tell us. But um, And then I followed Gene on Twitter and everywhere else pretty much. And Gene is in, an incredibly accomplished CPA and journalist, author, writing for many public publications, which we'll get into. Um, but first, I just want to start off by saying, Gene, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on this podcast. I'm honored truly to have you as a guest here. Seth and Erica, thank you both for having me on. I do remember meeting you at this leader conference, which was awesome, wasn't it? It was like this big thing in Vegas and a lot of people were there. It was good. And um, I, I also have to comment that if, if, if finding new things in QuickBooks Online is what is getting you excited, Seth, I, really, you know, <laughs> a little bit of a vacation I think you need to take. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, look, I, you know, this, this is what I love. This is why I call myself a nerd. This is what we accountants do. That's right. That's exactly. Right. <laughs> I swore I was never going to become one of you guys. And ugh, look hey, at me. Look, we're drawing you in. <laughs> Erica, go towards the light. Look away. <laughs> Come I can't. I'm too far gone. <laughs> so my high school friends, you know, when Facebook started becoming a thing yeah. and we were reconnecting with all these people that we hadn't seen in 100 years, they were shocked that I was an accountant. They were all telling me, like they thought for sure I'd be in something more creative, more artistic. And I said, I, I'm very creative in what I do as an accountant. Don't take that the wrong way, of course. <laughs> I was referring <laughs> I, I was always refer- tell people that um, I'm actually like the world's worst accountant, you know, like, um, you know, I'm like a CPA. Uh, so I, you know, I, I still, pra- I don't do tax return for me. Like if, if you're close enough, you're you know, it's good enough. And that's not exactly the way you want to be if you're an accountant. So, <laughs> but I think there's people like for all of our skills, like Erica and Seth, you guys obviously communicate very well. 
And uh, I'm a big believer that the accounting industry needs a lot more people, like both of you, uh, getting the word out. There's, there's technical is very, very important, but also communications is very important. So it's good skills and good, good representation of the, of the profession. Thank you. Yeah. Thank and you. Our goal, look, our goal is to sort of roll with the punches, so to speak, and look at the technology and how it's evolving. And we're, Eric and I are always working on finding ways to get more and more efficient about what we do so we can free up more time to be more strategic with our clients. And that's really the name of the game for me today. So I want to go back, Gene, because I'm I'm curious to get your sort of journey as an entrepreneur. You know, and like I said, I know you're an accomplished journalist with amazing insights into today's economy and and how many factors will or will not likely impact small business. But and I want to talk about that. But first, I want to go back further because I'm curious. When you were younger, when you were let's say in high school, what were your interests? Did you know it then that you wanted to become a CPA? I'm gathering not from what you've said already. Please, yeah, I would imagine that anybody who says they wanted to be a CPA when they were in high school is destined to become a CPA, I guess, sometime later in life. No, no, no. When I was in high school, I, was not, I, I knew I wanted to go some uh, into business. Um, so I went to Central High School in Philadelphia, uh, which is a magnet school. It's, uh, Philadelphia has like a horrible school system and even did when I was there back in the late 70s, public school system. Um, and it still struggles. But Central uh, is a magnet school where it was like, it's, and it still is a bright light in the city that attracts students. You have to test to get into the school. I went there. Um, I had an interest in business there, but I was also, um, editor of the school paper there as well. So I like to write. And, uh, from there I went to Lehigh university and I took the advice of my dad who was also, or was also a CPA. My dad passed away about 10 years ago. Uh, but he said to me, um, you know, Gene, you know, you know, if you get, you know, your, your CPA certificate. If you don't know what you want to do in the world of business, there's nothing better uh, than a CPA certificate. It's a license from the state. It opens you up to doing anything that you want to do. There are CPAs and accountants and financial people in all areas of business. Plus, I don't know if the world ever blows up or anything happens, you can always hang out a shingle and you know, do somebody's taxes. And, and he's right. You know, it's a trade and a profession, you know? That's, that's exactly yeah. what my father told me. I had actually gone, I'd, I had gone to school originally for computer science and I left. I wasn't doing well. I wasn't focused on academics when I first got into college. I was focused on other extracurricular activities, to be very honest. And so I, I, I went to Wall Street actually and got my Series 7 license and worked as a stockbroker. At 21, I was working on Wall Street. Hmm. And then I would decided to go back to school because somebody convinced me, hey, the market will still be there, but you really should have something you can fall back on in case this doesn't work out. And so the decision was, what do I go back to school for, finance or accounting? And my father said the exact same thing to me. He said, Seth, if you go get a, an accounting degree, you'll always be able to find work no matter what. Yeah, I, I found to say you can always find work. And you know, it's funny. Um, I don't want to like, you know, diss any other business degrees, marketing, management, you know, whatever. But the world is becoming more and more of a technical world. Um, I gave the same advice to my kids when they were in college as well. I've always big, been big about getting sort of like a state license. You know, it's mm-hmm. a profession, whether you're an electrician, a plumber, you know, a beautician or a CPA. I think that that's, um, it just validates you that much. And look, even you know, accountants, are their, their, their fingers are into everything. I mean, you know, more and more people with financial backgrounds are going into marketing because it's a big data world, you know, and, uh, and into management theory. And geez, I mean, going to, to the MLB and, and doing, you know, statistics on where to position players and uh, what pitchers to put in at the right moment. So I just yeah. think when you, have the, when you have a financial background, particularly a, an accounting background, it's, I think if you're going to advise a kid going into business, to me, it's, it's a great foundation. 
and and being a CPA, it, it was it was very very well regarded back when I was in school, and thirty years later, it is just as well regarded, if not more. So it's um it, it's done it's done me well. And, and did your kids listen to you? Did they become accountants yeah. too? Believe it or not, yeah, I have one, uh, all three of my kids. You don't even want to know, but I, I have three kids <laughs> that all graduated college last year. Right, they're like twins. Wow. Yeah, I know. The older one was 11 months older. We're still, guys, I'm still looking for this fertility doctor. His name is Abramowitz, okay? Like we had the last kids and the guy like disappeared. But anyway, they, they were all born around the same time. Within a year, they all went through school in the same grade level. So our house was a bit of a, a chaos, uh, but we made it through and, and they've all graduated. And then of course, following my advice, you know, I have one, my son is starting with, with PwC in Philadelphia this fall. And I have another son who's working at an engineering firm. He got an, you know, an engineering degree. And uh, my daughter is going to vet school. So um, all good. All good stuff and no more college bills. That's awesome. You <laughs> yeah. know, it's funny. You reminded me of a question I get. You know, a lot of my audience, for lack of a better way to put it, are other accountants and bookkeepers who oh. are looking to learn. And some of them are brand new entering the field. And they often ask, like, should they just go right into starting their own business? <clears throat> Excuse me. And I think what you said underscores what my answer to that question often is, which is, no, go get the experience first. Go work at a big yes, accounting right. firm. You know, learn the trade first. Unless you happen to be lucky enough to be uh, someone who I was friends with for years who I approach and then end up hiring and training you from day one. Right, Erica? <laughs> Are you referring to me? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> but I think yes, I am. I am that lucky, lucky person. I am that, <laughs> that lucky. <laughs> but so I, I, I'm glad you said that, Gene, because it really, you know, it does underscore that, and I think it's important. You know, yeah, you know, the average age. There's recent research just came out, um, and it's one of these bookmarks. That I'd like to, I'd like to write about this research soon. But um, the average age of a startup entrepreneur um, is over the age of forty. It's forty-two, mm-hmm. and. And that, that should tell you, I mean, we always hear about, you know, the 22-year-old the kid that starts the tech company and is worth a billion dollars in a week or whatever, but that's not reality. Mm-hmm. Uh, reality is there's small businesses all throughout the country, millions of them, and they're being started by people that you got to put in a little bit of time. And so whenever I talk to people graduating college or whatever, um, and they've got an idea for a business, um, I always think to my, I don't know, I, I kind of say like, first of all, your idea is not going to be that original. I mean, for goodness sake, everybody's, you know. <laughs> Most businesses have been thought of. It's probably a variation over an existing idea, which is great. So go and work for somebody in that industry or in that field for five years, seven years. Put in some time, um, then start your business. You know, yeah. or, or or move on from there, and you know, take some ideas and stuff that you learn from them, and 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 make it better, one step better. Right. Uh, so you're absolutely right. Starting up when you're just out of college or just you know entering a profession, uh, I, I don't think that's a good. That's a very risky thing to do. Yeah, because you really don't have the experience and don't know what you're doing, even though you have the, the book knowledge, you don't have the real world experience. Absolutely so. right. So, all right, so you were interested in journalism already as as a young man. Um, so what happened through college into your career? How did you actually get to the point of you know, ah. becoming a CPA? And then I assume the CPA thing came before you started writing for places like the Washington Post. Yeah. Well, here, first of all, um, I got some other great advice from my dad. You know, I never gave him credit at the time. But um, the, the other great advice he gave was, um, you know, to sit for the CPA exam. And, and it, kids, if you're listening, you know, I took uh, all of my, I wasn't an accounting major. I was an economics major. And that did two big things for me because I took all of my accounting classes, um, you know, as, as a minor. Um, but it wasn't an official minor. So to sit for the CPA exam, you need to have the accounting credits. I took all those accounting credits uh, pass-fail. 
So where all of my fellow accounting people were killing themselves over the latest cost accounting exam or whatever, I was like, nah, I just need to pass it. You guys are working way too hard. <laughs> I was an economics major. So I got the credits to sit for the exam. And when it came time to go for uh, an interview, and I interviewed with all of the big eight firms at the time, we're down to four now, mm -hmm. um, being an economics major sort of stood out. You know, everybody was an accounting major. You know, the economics was just a, another kind of conversation. So I was an economics major, and thank God I'm not an economist. No, that's, those guys are nuts. Uh, but you know, <laughs> being, you know, so I got that business degree and then became an account, you know, was able to sit for the CPA exam. So I graduated college, went to work for KPMG, and worked for KPMG in Philadelphia um, for almost nine years. And wow. uh, that was a um, great you know, um, great experience. Like, I loved it. Absolutely loved working at KPMG. Did no writing, but did a lot of um, uh, teaching. So I was part of their professional development core. Um, oh, so you didn't go into like the audit track where you were just spending I your was. first few years. So did you spend your first two years sending out bank confirms? Oh, I, uh, first of all, so can, can I, you know, I don't know how much time, but I, I got, I have so many great auditing stories that I, that, that I would Let's love. Let's do to it. Hear. I want to hear them. So, oh, so what I, I have some favorite ones. My favorite one, which I've told, maybe you've heard this one before, but I'll tell you, I did one where when I first started working at KPMG, I was, uh, they have a big banking group. So I wanted to be part of that banking group. And back at the day, uh, they used to do like these cash counts. Do you guys know this? I mean, Eric, I don't know if you've ever seen this. I do. Now. Erica probably hasn't experienced yeah, that. They, I don't know if they still do this, but but the auditors used to go into the bank branches and physically count the cash <laughs> and then reckon, you know, and then report it to headquarters. It was like an internal control thing, right? So all I wanted to do was was count cash, right? That was my, my what kind of a loser that I was back then. That's what my <laughs> goal was. And KPNG sent me um, to training for one week down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, which, by the way, is how much money do these firms have that they can afford to send a dope like me for a whole week training on how to count cash. And I came back and the, the Sunday after I came back, it's a true story, I got a call from a manager in the office. His name is Richard Anderson. And I, literally, the phone rang. I was in my apartment by myself as usual. And I picked up the phone and he was like, Gene, this is Richard Anderson, senior manager, KPMG, Philadelphia. Because that's the way all these guys talked. It was like the military. <laughs> and I'm like... Yes, Mr. Anderson, what can I do for you? Yes, I'm like saluting him. Yeah, I'm alone in my apartment, right? Uh, and he goes, Gene, I understand that you recently became certified in cash counting. And I was like, yes, Mr. Anderson. And he's like, okay, I have a job for you. Tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., I need you to go to the Mellon Bank branch at 16th and Walnut Street in Philadelphia and do a surprise cash count. Are you up for that job? And I'm like, yes, Mr. Anderson, I'm up for the job. And he's like, don't let me down, Gene. Don't let the partners down. And don't let the firm down. The guy actually said that. And then the phone melted in my hand, which to this day, I don't know how he made it do that, but they have a lot of resources. Anyway, the next day, I go to the bank branch. This is a true story. And I walk into the branch and I put down my briefcase and I said to the entire, everybody there in the bank, it was like 8 a.m. I'm like, everyone, can I have your attention? And I held oh, up. No. Yeah. I'm like, my name is Gene Marks. I'm with your auditing firm, KPM, oh no, KPMG. Uh, I'm here to do a surprise cash count. It's like, can I ask all of you to stand up where you are and line up along the wall over here to my left? And the entire branch, all the employees got up and lined up along the wall to my left. And I started furiously counting cash and counting and counting and counting, like going crazy. Anyway, as I'm counting, it was 820, 825, 830. 
the manager of the branch walked into the branch. He thought he was being robbed. (laughs) Yeah, picture this. He sees his entire staff lined up along this wall and some kid behind the, the counter with like $100 bills flying up in the air and, you know, with sweat oh pouring my down God. my face. And the guy's like, what the heck is going on here? And, and one of the girls there, she was like, oh, Mr. Smith, that's Gene Marks. He's with our accounting firm, KPMG. He's doing a cash count. And the guy looks at her and he's like, KPMG, KPMG aren't our accountants. Ernst & Young are our accountants. Oh anyway, God. I went to the wrong branch. Oh, oh my God! Yeah, that's the wrong place. They, were, they weren't even a client. The guy oh, I, no. to this day, he said Mellon Brand. I'm sure of it. And I, it was supposed to be Fidelity Bank. And I went to those. So we had a whole team of people counting across the street, and I was counting cash at the wrong, the wrong bank. Branch. That's that hilarious. One of many true stories that I have from my days at KPMG. That's hilarious. We're going to take a quick break. Thank you, Gene. We'll come back in a couple of seconds after this short break. it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Nerd Enterprises Incorporated is a numbers agency. We offer a wide range of services, from bookkeeping to financial modeling and cash flow projections. Our consulting services enable you to do what you do best by giving us the accounting and back office tasks that we do best. Nerd Enterprises, Inc. is one of the worldwide leaders in QuickBooks, Microsoft Excel, and other productivity-based training. If it's one-to-one or one-to-many, we log in with you so you can share your screen and we get you through it. Plus, all sessions are recorded, so you can review those recordings anytime you like afterwards. For more information, visit nerdenterprises.com. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to powering prosperity around the globe for accountants, small businesses, consumers, and the self-employed. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor Program, accounting professionals can save time, grow their practice, and act as strategic advisors to their small business clients. By working together as partners, Intuit can help you leverage the latest technologies and work with you to create tomorrow's future innovations. Go to quickbooks.intuit.com to find out more. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. To find out more, email Seth at NerdEnterprises.com. That's Seth at NerdEnterprises.com. Now, back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. Okay, welcome back, everybody, to the, the Authentic Accountant Podcast. We're on our second segment. We talked about what it was like. Now we want to learn what happened. So, Gene, you said that you started out, uh, you know, with an interest in journalism uh, and an interest in business. You were writing for the paper in school. Did you write for the paper in college? Yeah, I did, actually. And then um, I wrote for my first two years, and then I went to England uh, and spent a year in London um, at LSE, at London School of Economics, for a year, uh, where I met my wife. Believe it or not. Oh, nice. so, yeah, so we've been married 27 years, if you can imagine. Dragged her back. 
That's amazing. By your wow, hair. congratulations. And we already know things went well. You had kids and put them through college. Yeah. So. yeah. Um, so let's talk about, you know, just the career part. We know, you know, so you became a CPA. I'm curious to learn how you actually got into journalism after becoming a CPA. How did that come about? So when I, I was with KPMG for about nine years, I was then a controller at a publicly held, a small 50-person publicly held company for a couple of years. I always wanted to do something on my own. Uh, I took, you know, I, I decided to build up my own practice. And I, I, by doing this, I went into business with my dad. My dad had, was in the midst of writing the world's worst bookkeeping software. Uh, he had raised about $2.5 million, and it was this DOS, if you remember that, based black and white horrible software that it was terrible and he ran out of money doing it just when QuickBooks was being released and like a dope I quit my job and joined up with him like what was I thinking and my whole role as a CPA was was he would introduce me and say well I know my software can't do a balance sheet but you got Jeden to do it so Jeden will do it for you and that, that was our <laughs> business model if you can imagine <laughs> oh my gosh but a great thing happened the the Y2K year 2000 bug happened I remember that Right. And even though planes didn't fall out of the sky or, you know, you know, financial systems didn't shut down. Thank God my father's software stopped working because the, he was the one software that forgot to add the extra two digits for the extra millennium and his software stopped working. So we started <laughs> selling other software, uh, customer relationship management, CRM software and, uh, and other people's like great planes and whatnot, finally. Mm-hmm. And that's finally when we started making a little bit of money. Um, so we were doing that. And then somewhere around um, 2005, uh, I, I always liked to write. Um, so I wanted to write about, listen, guys, when you're in the technology business, when you're selling products made by big software companies uh, that, that will go unnamed in this broadcast, mm-hmm. um, you wind up getting yelled at a lot by your clients when things don't work. So mm-hmm. I was looking for something to do just to take my mind off of all the headaches of the day. And I love to write. And I wanted to write about being a business owner. And um, I pitched an idea called the Penny Pinchers Almanac uh, to our local business journal, the Philadelphia Business Journal, which is part of American City Business Journals. And uh, the idea would be like a biweekly column on just ways to save money in your business and uh, written by a business owner and a CPA. And guys, everything in, listen, talent, hard work, perseverance, all that stuff is very important in life. But you'll find that anybody who has succeeded in anything um, got a break, right, through timing. Mm. There's always a little bit of luck involved in life, and then you hope you can take advantage of it. Anyway, my luck was they had a new editor, and he was redoing the whole Philadelphia Business Journal, and he was looking for different things. He's like, huh, all right, I'll give that a shot. You know, something I'll give a shot. I was emailing him. And, um, yeah, just timing. So then I started writing for them for a few years, and from there, things kind of took off on the writing side. That's funny. They, you know, that's what they say something about when opportunity meets preparedness, you know, yeah. that's, when, that's when luck happens. Yeah. yeah. I had a similar story years ago. I picked up one of the biggest clients I've had to date over the years um, because I, I happened to work with a couple of people who owned uh, locations in this franchise. And so out of curiosity, I went and looked up their corporate office, happened to be located in Gardena, California, very close to where I am. Mm-hmm. And so I thought, what the heck? And I'll call and I left a message. I was listened to the options in their, uh, res, you know, their virtual receptionist system. And there was no accounting person, but there was an HR person. So I thought that would be the person at least who would know where to send me. So I left a message for this person. 
Um, I, and I basically said, hey, look, I'm already working with a couple of your franchisees, helping them with their QuickBooks and accounting stuff, and would love it if you would consider maybe thinking of me as a training resource in the bigger picture for more of your locations. Three months went by, I didn't hear a thing. And then I get a call from the HR person saying, by the way, I'm actually not just the HR person. I'm also the controller for the company. And the reason it took so long to get back to you is I've been slammed with questions from franchisees about how to use QuickBooks. So, in fact, I desperately need your help. And boom, and I had a huge training contract with this national franchise chain for for many, many months. It was. Yeah, but you were prepared to do it. And uh, and I've just learned that over the years. I just, you know, people, you know, the best examples are, you know, actors that get acting jobs, you know, where they just they happen to be in the right place at the right time and they've got a bunch of talent and they're ready to do it. You need the talent and all that kind of stuff. But, right. But what I yeah. get out of what you did is you took the initiative and went and pitched them on it, right? Yeah. And that's really the way it's been for most. I mean, I've been invited to write different places and I've, I've pitched lots of different places. Right. Um, and I still do. I still do because um, like, for example, the Washington Post, I've been writing for the Washington Post now for about three years. Um, two months ago, I was told um, by the Washington Post that they're going to end the relationships with all of their outside contributors. Um, and the reason why is that, like, like and the same thing happened to me with the New York Times three years before that. Um, you know, the, the, the biggest publishers are under such scrutiny, and the Washington Post is, is hated by the current administration. Um, they really want to limit any type of their exposure. Um, so any type of reporting and stuff they want to do, they just want to do internally with internal employees and no more. Because I was writing every day for the Washington Post. Right. And that was really upsetting. Um, but I understand you know, why they wanted to do that. So as soon as I heard that you know, that was going to happen, I went into major pitch mode into a bunch of other different places. Um, because it's not like people are thinking about you all the time. Everybody's got stuff going. You got to work. You got you to gotta swing. And, yeah. um, and, and that's what I did. So then I landed a um, – um, so now I'm writing for The Guardian. Um, which I'm really excited about. We have a lot of British roots and they have a big U.S. Uh, you know, um, presence as well, all still on small businesses. But to answer your question, I've had to pitch my entire life for different <laughs> things. You know, I mean, it's, you, you never stop pitching. Right. No, that's great. I mean, because I, I, I have to tell like, I want to be like you when I grow up. I, I dream of writing for some of the publications you write for. And one of the things that has stopped me, honestly, is they're not going to pay any attention to me. You know, I'm, I'm not big enough for them yet. You know, and I think after hearing what you just said, I need to rethink that and actually take the time and reach out to, you know, I think American Express even has programs for people like me who'd like to write for them on their website. And, they do. Yeah. The editors are looking. And if you do want to write um, somewhere, there's a lot of different places you can write. Um, you, but you have to be perseverant about it. And it's like a marketing exercise like anything else. I built a, a list of editors at all sorts of different places in my CRM system. Um, we sell CRM systems. So this is what we tell our clients to do. And I had a campaign where we were, I was emailing them. I was going after them on social media. I was, you know, so as much as you think like, oh my gosh, you know, the guys had so much experience written all over the place, whatever. There's lots of people that are out there. You always got to fight um, and, and let people know that you're out there and, and pitch to do your thing. Right. Yeah, And you have to continue to fight and you have to yes. continue to pitch to the same person. Because what I found is, you know, and I, 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 have a long history of, of working in the entertainment industry and, and I, you know, trained as an actor and stuff. And, you know, you, you, you can meet casting directors, you can meet directors and producers and, and, and it's not that they forget about you. It's not that they don't know about you. They just have a lot of other stuff going on and a lot of other projects that they're working on. So it, it is, you have to continually get in front of them and, 
you know, Erica, you, you hit it right on the head. I just have to say, I mean, you're absolutely right. Like if you are writing somewhere, you know, you can't get into a rut and keep doing the same thing. You know, you always mm-hmm. have to be thinking of new things. And by the way, that was the uh, same thing when you're dealing with clients. Say you're not a writer, um, but you're, you're serving clients. Um, your clients are just, you know, people get bored after a while. Like in other words, what new thing am I going to bring to my client the next time I talk to them? You're always pitching. You should always be doing that. Otherwise, uh, some other guy's doing that, you know, and, and could take the work away from you where you just get forgotten about. Yep. 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 I do it all the time. I look for opportunities because I know there are services I would love to offer my clients. The higher level of one of my big things is, uh, you know, it's been sort of branded as nerds cash flow projections, right? Where mm. I, I take their chart of accounts from their QuickBooks file and I dump it into spreadsheets and I balance out the statement of cash flows. And once that's built and balanced, I can create any schedule and flow it to the right place so we can project their cash flows and be as specific as we want to be about it. And it creates a great strategic tool for companies. And I wait for opportunities. As soon as a client even sneezes a hint at something along the lines of needing that, I just suggest it. Yeah, makes sense. Seth, you've got a good brand of of being, you know, branding yourself as a nerd. I mean, it's a fun thing to do and it's a great idea. And then just know as well, I I mean, I've known you for years. I think people in the accounting community know you, but it's a big world out there. There's a lot of people that don't know you yet Mm -hmm. that are opportunities for you as well. So. Right. Um, you never stop thinking that way and you never stop battling for more work. Yeah, mm-hmm. no, thank you for that. Um, all right, so along the way, Gene, I'm sure there were times, you know, we all hit roadblocks. There's people who are going to be listening to this podcast right now and wondering if they should quit and go back and get a job because things just aren't working out. Tell us about the hardest thing you experienced on your entrepreneurial journey. Was there ever a time when you thought you might have to throw in the towel and go back to KPMG? There was never a time um, where I, I felt like I was going to quit my job, but there have been times where, um, I've had some cash flow issues or receivable issues or client issues. I've had some dark days. I, I think one of my darker days, it was like in the mid 2000s when um, I, I don't know, I looked at cash and it was really going down and I was like, geez, you know, this is uh, a pity your stomach type of stuff where you're like, you do get, you know, you do get pretty, pretty scared sometimes. So, you know, I mean, you know, again, it, things are never as good as they seem and things are never as bad as they seem. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of times, you know, I will look at something and feel pretty, pretty down about something like, oh, this is not going well, or it's not as profitable as I expected it to be, or it's not, uh, you know, I'm, I'm running out of money on something. Um, a lot of times when that happens, I would, I would take a deep breath and change my state. Uh, you know, I would leave, this is a Tony Robbins thing. I mean, I would leave whatever I'm doing and go to the batting cages for a while <laughs> or to the driving range, you know, or just leave it. Uh, you get, you know, get a night's sleep and then revisit the problem the next day. Uh, and, and you, you'd be surprised when you look at a problem after, um, being away from it for a little while, you can, you can, you know, attack it from a different angle and with a different attitude towards it as well. So never, I mean, I've had this pit in my stomach situations, um, but I've never, um, you know, I, I've been able to kind of take my step back from it, um, and, and learn from that. I remember one situation where I did it for a client, and I was, um, I mean, we were really short on cash and, and I uh, did this work for a client. And as, as usual, I screwed everything up. There was some spreadsheet work that I did on my dad's software. And my client, I was like a young guy. My client kept uh, asking questions about it. Like the guy knew, the guy knew things weren't adding up right or didn't seem to make sense to him. And I was just denying it. I mean, I was lying to the guy and saying to him, I was, you know, no, it's fine. I wasn't answering his calls. I wasn't. 
And every time the guy would leave a message, I'd feel like nauseous, you know? I mean, ultimately we lost this client and I was doing it because I didn't want to spend the time to do, to make it right because, I, you know, I wasn't going to make any money doing it. And I don't know, I just walked away with a big lesson saying that, you know, I want to make sure whatever I do, I got to do well. I don't want to do something that's over my head and do it right for the long term. That's, the, that's it's just an important, don't do it at all. Right. I love that batting cage suggestion. It's mm. funny that you said that specifically because I had thought of doing that myself. I, you know, there's a batting cage that's near my home where I live that I've never been to in all my time living here. And I, a while back, I was thinking specifically, I was like, you know, I should just go spend time at the batting cage. It's probably a great way to get aggression out. You know, you're just whacking balls out there. Yep. I, I love that idea. I yep. just love the idea of just getting away, completely unplugging, doing something totally different, especially from what we do, right? Using our minds the way we do all day. Yep. You change your state is what it is. And again, that is a Tony Robbins thing. I learned that a thousand years ago from him. And um, that, that was one of the things that really stuck with me. By the way, if you're going to go to the batting cages, wear a batting glove. <laughs> because you're going to take a lot more swings than you normally do. And you, you know, your hand's going to turn into like chopped liver after a while. So bring a batting glove. That's, That's probably hilarious. my best advice I have of this entire podcast. Okay? <laughs> wear a batting glove. You know, that's like there's a, there's a Boz Lerman song from way back called Wear Sunscreen. Like that was his advice. And he goes, anyway, Erica, what do you do when you need to reset? Uh, I do a lot of different things. It, it varies on the day. I mean, one of the things I do is um, I, I – I'm an avid snowboarder, so when, which is difficult because that's only really available certain months of the year, especially here in Southern California, but um, I also have a motorcycle. So those are kind of my two things. When, when I'm in my head and things are looking really bleak, um, I, I either take a day trip and I get up to the mountain or, um, you know, if it's summer or, you know, I can't, can't do that, I'll, I'll go for a motorcycle ride because when I'm, when I'm on the motorcycle, I'm in that moment. You know, I can't, I, I literally cannot afford to be thinking in, or being in my head about anything else. I could die. So, right. so I'm very clear on that. So I'm, I am right there in that moment and, and none of that other stuff that I'm worried about or none of that other stuff that, that seems so dark and bleak exists anymore. Mm. And what that does for me is it buys me a little bit of space. And inevitably, every time I come back to it the next day or, or I come back and I, you know, after taking a little break and things magically look different. I don't know how it works, but it does. It's really true. Seth, is this an accounting podcast? I mean, this woman here is snowboarding. She's riding on a motorcycle. I, I mean, know. Well, the, you the know, you know us, why. Yes, you know, we, I don't know, we like to read a book on history. I mean, I don't know. This is, yeah, this, am I on the right podcast? We're in Los Angeles, Gene. That's what you get in Los Angeles. You get a true melting pot. <laughs> we get everybody, every kind. So I, I'm loving this. So, all right. So no major, like, I'm going to leave and quit my career. But obviously, the usual ups and downs. One thing you said, Gene, that struck me, and I wonder if, you've, if you would agree that, you know, your experience is consistent with this. Because one of the things I've often noticed and commented about my own experience as an entrepreneur is that sometimes I, like, I actually asked my therapist once if he thought I was maybe manic. Because I feel like business is like that. It can be very manic. Like things are really good, right? Like you said, yeah. it's not always as good as it seems and it's never as bad as it seems either. And sometimes I feel like it's way up here. Like, oh my God, things are great. I'm going to be making millions tomorrow and everything's amazing. And then like a week later, it can be like, oh my God, it's all falling apart. I'm just, this is going to hell, right? Yep. I mean, do you feel like it's been like that at times? Yeah, it really is. And it's, it's the old saying of like, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you go through life, stuff happens to you during the day. You're not going to change that. What you can change is how you you deal with right. that stuff. Mm -hmm. um, and people right. that, 
that get very manic or very uh, down when things happen. Things are just going to happen. You, you have to learn how to deal with it. By the way, you, interesting that you said that you, you talk about that with your therapist. That's another thing that I've written about before. I, I am a big believer in that as well for entrepreneurs, business owners. I have a, a handful of clients uh, that see therapists, not business coaches, but paid therapists that they lie down on the couch and talk about what's going. It's very hard to balance your family life and a professional life and all the things you want to do. And sometimes it's, it's nice to talk to a paid professional who doesn't have an agenda that can just kind of help you sort things out. So I right. think that's a great thing that you do. Thank you. And, and it's where you truly know that what gets brought out in that room is staying in that room. It's not right. like talking to that friend that you know you can trust that ends up telling your other friend. You know, right. it's, a tr- it's one place where you're truly safe. Share. I don't know what I would do without it. Of course, I was a crazy kid, so I've, I'd been in therapy since I was 17 years old. And mm. along the way, I remember somebody telling me that the average income of people who are in therapy is about 500% more. I don't know if that's true, but yeah. you know, they say like 85% of all statistics are made up anyway. So It seems to work pretty well for Tony Soprano. So, I mean, that's, <laughs> that's, that's all right, we got to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what it's like today. And this is the part I think I'm most excited about, Gene. I really can't wait to hear your sort of commentary on what's going on in our world today and what, what we need to do as small business owners, how it's going to impact us and how we can be best prepared. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Intuit QuickBooks is dedicated to powering prosperity around the globe for accountants, small businesses, consumers, and the self-employed. With products and services like QuickBooks Online Accountant and the QuickBooks Pro Advisor Program, accounting professionals can save time, grow their practice, and act as strategic advisors to their small business clients. By working together as partners, Intuit can help you leverage the latest technologies and work with you to create tomorrow's future innovations. Go to QuickBooks books.intuit.com to find out more. Nerd Enterprises Incorporated is a numbers agency. We offer a wide range of services from bookkeeping to financial modeling and cash flow projections. Our consulting services enable you to do what you do best by giving us the accounting and back office tasks that we do best. Nerd Enterprises Inc. is one of the worldwide leaders in QuickBooks, Microsoft Excel, and other productivity-based training. If it's one-to-one or one-to-many, we log in with you so you can share your screen and we get you through it. Plus, all sessions are recorded, so you can review those recordings anytime you like afterwards. For more information, visit nerdenterprises.com. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. You are listening. 
listening to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. To find out more, email Seth at NerdEnterprises.com. That's Seth at NerdEnterprises.com. Now, back to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. Welcome back, everybody, to the Authentic Accountant Podcast. I'm here with my co-host, Erica Ed, and of course, the incredible Jean Marks. I'm not so sure how authentic Erica is. She's riding motorcycles. She's surfboarding. I'm the most authentic. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> exactly. Look, the reason I wanted to call my company Nerd Enterprises and not, not uh, I was going to say not authentic accounting service. I, I had a CPA who wanted to work with me years ago, and he wanted to start a firm and call it Superior Accounting Services. And I thought, it just doesn't get more pompous than that. <laughs> no. So uh, anyway, I, I came up with Nerd Enterprises based on a number of factors. Part of it was my wife at the time would make fun of me because I'd be working on a spreadsheet for a client. Spreadsheets were a big part of my thing in the beginning. And she would call me a nerd because I'd get all excited that I wrote this crazy complex formula to get this thing done that I needed to do. And she had no clue what I was doing, but she appreciated it. But then she would say, you're such a nerd. And so that was a big part of it. And also was to kind of weed out the, uh, the people who take themselves too seriously. You know, it was the tagline in the beginning was funny name, serious business. You know, and that I thought represented it well. So anyway, I just didn't want to limit myself to just accounting. And I just like like you said earlier, Gene, I wanted to make a brand that was kind of, you know, fun about something that's also very serious. Yeah, you could be a nerd about a lot of things. And one thing that when you talk about being a CPA and, and in the accounting profession, I mean, it's a big umbrella of financial services and technology services and advice services that you can mean all of it. You know, being a nerd is kind of a fun way to connect yourself to it. I mean, I like it. I like the yeah. brand. Yeah, I just had I just had coffee with a friend yesterday who's a fellow bookkeeper and and he, you know, he's just get just barely getting into the business and and he asked me, he's like, "Well, have you ever thought about going, you know, and, and becoming an EA or a CPA and doing taxes?" I was like, "No." <laughs> that sounds terrible. <laughs> like and and I love that because this the, the, the sort of conception that I had of accountants one before I started working here was that's what you did. You sat behind a desk and you, you, you churned out tax returns all day. And there are so many more services that we can offer our clients. And that's the thing that gets me really excited about it is how I can best serve them, you know, and what sort of solutions I can, I can help them kind of come up with. I agree. I agree. And listen, so much of it is being automated. I mean, H&R Block, as you know, I mean, they're partnering with IBM Watson. This is what's going to happen in the future. Most tax returns, there's no way the typical tax preparing CPA can, can compete against an artificially intelligence driven, you know, computer that's looking at millions of scenarios uh, and has access to billions of pages of research uh, to give the best tax advice or, or do make the right move on a tax return. Um, so that kind of stuff is going to be done and automated. And the, the smart CPAs are the ones that accept it and embrace it and then use the time to provide financial advice, financial services, and, um, and, and, and be a guide and a mentor to their clients. That's what, that's what clients are looking for. They need it. I so need since, it. So since you brought that up, I have a question for you, Gene. Do you think, is it fair to say then that blockchain will ultimately lead us to a place where audits are done strictly based on artificial intelligence? I mean, are auditors going to lose their jobs? I think um, in the end, it's going to automate a great deal of what the auditing procedures are done right now. It's going to take some time for the accounting profession and the financial community to accept it. I do believe also that there will be plenty of work to be done by auditors to verify and validate what blockchain is doing because you can't ever 100% rely on automation. There has to be some type of internal controls done 
by humans. And then again, I think it's going to then lead towards having all this grunt work done by technology so that good CPAs at you know firms, small, medium, and large can use that information to provide great advice for their clients and talk about business issues and help them grow. I think it's great. Right. I think automation is not something we should fear. It should be something that we embrace because it gives us an opportunity to provide, frankly, much more interesting and much more valuable services. Yeah, I, I, I agree. And uh, you know, we shouldn't fear it. We should be looking towards the future with it. And, and I think that it is a, um, uh, it, it's happening. We, we can't deny it. So people can't put their head in the sand about it. So one of the things I remember, Gene, when I met you and, and the first time I heard you speak was at the Sleater Conference. And I remember you, you, you gave a talk and you talked at one point about these sort of obscure indices but you explained why they give us great indications of what, like leading indicators for where the economy is headed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm assuming you remember what I'm referring oh, sure. to. So if you don't mind talking a little bit about that, and especially, you know, if it's still the same stuff today, let's, let's talk about that. Because I remember I was fascinated. I started taking crazy notes and I was, I was really mad at myself. I was looking for those notes in Evernote. That was back in 2015, I think. Right. Right. Um, and I was so mad I couldn't find it. I'm normally so good about making sure no matter how long it's been, I can find something. So I lost my notes. Maybe you can help me get them back. <laughs> oh, I mean, happy to. I mean, there, there are a lot of you know, indices that are out there that, is, um, that, that you know, will help you kind of guide where your, you know, where your company is going, basically where the, where the uh, economy is going, right? So, for example, um, you know, I remember guys way back in 2008, 2009, when uh, we were in the middle of this, you know, the recession was hitting and all that kind of stuff. I remember actually the Phillies were in the World Series then. And like the, the whole city of Philadelphia was so excited. And meanwhile, like the stock market was dropping like 400 points in a day. Um, <laughs> right. But, but I remember an economist, a friend of mine told me that, um, hey, listen, you know, I, I realize that we're in, you know, the throes, it's all panicky or whatever, but, but, but keep your eye on this one index because it, it's bottomed out. It's the it's the Baltic Dry Index, and I talk about it all the time. The mm-hmm. Baltic Dry Index is an. It, do you guys know what it is? Do you? Do you I don't know. If, no, I, no, I don't. So here's what it is. It is a shipping index. It's a freight index. It measures the cost of shipping through the Baltic Sea, which apparently is one of the world's largest shipping lanes. I cannot even find the Baltic Sea on a map, and yet. <laughs> I'm told that this is one of the world's largest shipping lanes. It's an index. And so then you just, it's supply and demand. When the index is going up, that means that freight prices are going up, which means that there is more demand for freight, which means that we have more shipping going through, which is good for world trade, right? When it's going down, that's not good because it means that freight prices are going down. There's There's less demand for freight and therefore shipping is going down as well. And if you look at the Baltic Dry Index leading up to the recession, um, it was tar- it was all making its way down. It was it was coming like you could have seen this a couple months in advance. So the Baltic Dry Index is one of these in- just one of many indicators that people use to, to to kind of foresee where things are going. I have some clients that look at the Institute of Supply Managers. They have a like a monthly uh, purchasing managers index that comes out, and the ISM index. The Wall Street Journal sometimes publishes this on it, like a little blurb about it that nobody ever pays attention to except for economists that follow this stuff. And the Institute of Supply Managers, by the way, is it's an organization made up of like the world's most boring people. These are like purchasing managers, right? I mean, you never want to you know, be stuck there for lunch, right? <laughs> These people, they're purchasing managers and, and the Institute every month 
surveys these purchasing managers and finds out what their purchasing plans are going to be over the next 30, 60, and 90 days. And then they put that into an index and it shows you like where purchasing is going, where business is going. And, and it is it gives you an idea where things are trending up. There's also some, uh, one guy follows, an economist follows um, the Expedia index. He looks at, he goes to sites and there are plenty of them out there like Alexa and others that tracks um, all the activity on other big websites. So if you go, you know, you look at the activity on like my site, you know, Mark's group, you know, it's like six people visited it yesterday, but on Expedia, you know, they have millions of visitors and you can literally see graphs of where, you know, what the visitors are to Expedia over the past five years. I mean, Expedia is, you know, the world's largest travel website and particularly for consumers. So when, when a lot of people are visiting and there's a lot of activity on Expedia, it tells you people are spending their money on vacations and that's a good sign of the economy. For me, it's like when, when times are good, I'm taking my kids to Florida. When times are bad, it's the Jersey shore, you know, I mean, that's, (laughs) so that's, yeah, kind of t- and then and like Alan Greenspan, like you, you guys know what his, I mean, this is on record, his favorite, this is like the chairman of the Fed or the prior chairman of the Fed. His <laughs> favorite economic indicator is the men's underwear index. That's literally what he looks at. And you can look this up and I'm going to tell you the reason why I, Seth and I know this, Erica, maybe you don't, but when times are good, we're buying new underwear. When times get a little slow, yeah, we're turning them inside out once in a while, okay? So, you know, and the industry itself suffers. I was and, putting that together. <laughs> <laughs> you know, RV sales. These are all these are all different kinds. And I just, what I found is that a lot of business, smart business people that are looking ahead um, are always trying to figure out where the economy is going. And when they're doing that, they are looking at some of these indicators. Now, uh, it's tough, you know, we're running businesses, so we don't have time to do a lot of this stuff. So there are some good economists out there that you can follow that will help you do this. Like, for example, at the American Enterprise Institute, there's a wonderful economist. His name is Mark Perry. And he has, a, he has an email newsletter, and he looks at these kinds of things every month, every week. It's a daily newsletter, actually, so there's all sorts of stuff. And he'll alert you on stuff that's going on. He's, I just, I'm a big fan of Mark Perry at the American Enterprise mm-hmm. Institute. And then also there's a really great blog by a guy named uh, James McBride. I think it's James McBride. But anyway, it's, a, it's calculatedriskblog.com. And it's, he also looks at, you know, you know, kind of, you can sign up for his newsletter or just visit his site and they pick it all apart for you. So those metrics are really, really valuable to follow because uh, it's, it's up to us to know in advance some indication if we think things are turning down so we can make some plans, you know, well in advance, people are relying on us to do that. Right. Yeah. That's what I love about this. I think it was the Baltic dry index gene that I remember you talking about in the Sleater conference. I just didn't remember what yep. it was. Cause I remember it was, it had something to do with shipping. So that's gotta be it. Yep. And I just, Cause it's, 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 it's like, like I said, there are these, to me, they seem like very obscure indices, but they make a lot of sense when you explain it. You know that yeah. If, if shipping, if if freight out from the Baltic Sea is increasing, it's probably because more people are buying more stuff, which, like you said, is an indicator that the economy may be on the way to improvement. So and you got to look at the history. So you got to sort of graphic out or follow an economist that does that, and then you you see the trends, and you're like, oh, this thing's kind of slipping a little bit. You know, it just gives you raises your eyebrows and makes you you know a little bit more prepared where things might be going. 
Right. No index is useful without doing a comparative analysis on Correct. it. Just like when we look at ratios for companies, if I'm looking at a current ratio or a quick ratio or the cash ratio, it's useless on its own. I always have to compare it with what it's been. And so I can see the trend. How about um, divorce data? But what do you guys think during, do you think divorces go up or down when times are good? My guess is when times get bad, the divorce rate goes up because people fight over money and get divorced. It, the exact opposite. I would have thought wow. the same thing. When times are good, divorce rates go up. And the reason why, of course, is uh, people say that it's, it's the, the wives are waiting for those asset values to go up. And then boom, <laughs> That's hilarious. <they> <laughs> That's hilarious. That's terrible. So um, speaking of looking for things to, you know, uh, act as indicators and just what's going on in the world today and to give context, because hopefully people will be listening to this podcast episode for many years to come. Um, we are, of course, recording this in July of 2018, almost August of 2018. And so we have what appears to be the beginnings of a little tariff war going on. And Gene, I know you just recently wrote an article about it and we were looking it over today. And so I'm curious to get your commentary on that and especially from the standpoint of if I'm a small business owner, what do I need to do? Yeah, I mean, look, there, there is, we're absolutely in a trade war. We've been in a trade war for a while. Um, we asked for it. I, I have, we have about 600 clients in my firm, guys, and I hear from my clients all the time. I've been hearing for years, it's unfair, you know, this country's dumping their products and this country is stealing technology and whatever. And so we asked for this, the business community, and now we got it. And so we've raised tariffs on steel and aluminum products uh, that are being imported in here. And then, of course, Canada has replied to that. Uh, China has also replied to that. The EU has taken it to the World Trade Organization. And then recently, and again, we're, we're, you know, we'll see how, I don't want to make this too time sensitive, but the Trump administration placed more tariffs on Chinese goods as well. And the Chinese came back and placed their tariffs on American goods like agricultural products, soybeans, pork, things like that. Um, so we're, as we're talking right now, we're, we're in the midst of it going up and up and up and it's going to, I predict it's going to continue on for a while. And I do say if you're running a business, um, you can take a wait and see attitude, but don't wait too long. If you think that this, the tariffs are going to have an impact on your materials, which are going to impact your prices, the best thing that you can do is start communicating this to your clients right now or your customers right now. Um, no business owner likes to be surprised by anything. If you can gradually bring in those tariffs, um, you know, and increase your prices over a, a period of time instead of a, a one-shot thing, that would certainly help. A communication will be key to let your customers know. The other thing is, listen, I mean, you know, if, if you know that your prices are going to be forced to go up, um, just you're, you're, you know, and you want to maintain your margins, though, um, you, you should be looking very hard at your overhead right now. Why not run your business like we're in a recession, right? All the time you should be doing that because any, any percentage that you save on your margin, any percentage means you don't have to increase your prices that much. And therefore, hopefully you won't have to potentially risk losing a customer uh, that might go and find it, you know, somewhere else. And finally, uh, you know, a lot of a lot of my clients, I mean, they're looking for alternative either supply chains, you know, to to source them. They're doing that right now, or they're looking for alternative markets. And you know, if again, if you're selling into a market that where you're gonna your product's gonna be hit by tariffs, I mean, the the whiskey industry, the bourbon industry is having a big issue with that craft your makers into into Europe now. Okay, I mean, that's a fact. So what about South America? What about Africa? What about parts of Asia? Um, are there parts of the world where you can kind of pivot 
and start marketing and, and make your plans for the next six to 12 months to target your, your products there. These are all things I'm just seeing my own clients do right now um, in this environment. And you have to be thinking about that and, and making your plans ahead over the next six to 12 months. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. So for those of you listening, if you want to check out the article, it's called Five Strategies for Surviving the Trade War. It's published on Inc., which is one of the many places that Gene writes. So Gene, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out. This has been great. It's been great information. I hope that the listeners get a ton out of it. Obviously, everyone, you should be following Gene on Twitter at Gene Marks and everywhere else you can find him and subscribe to all the publications. Can you give us a quick list, Gene, of everywhere that I can go to find your content? Oh, if you just follow me on Twitter is the best place. It's all there, um, right. Yeah, at Gene Marks. And, and Eric, I have to tell you something. Enough with the motorcycles. They're very dangerous. Okay? <laughs> Take up jogging or something, okay? I, jo- I do I jog like as you. well. I do okay. jog as well. Okay. Okay. <laughs> be careful, please, for goodness sake. Thank you, Gene. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on, guys. All right, thank you very much. Thank you for tuning in. New episodes of the Authentic Accountant Podcast are heard every week on the Voice America Business Channel and on your favorite podcast site. Please join Seth David and Erica Ed again soon for another edition and another complete story of success. 